Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this Thursday? <clears throat> Man, we are getting prepared for the Daniel Fast coming up. We are getting prepared, man. And um, and so if you haven't noticed already that uh, our soaping as we're going through this month has a lot to do with fasting. And so we're going to read another um, chapter uh, out of God's word today. We are in Ezra 8, uh, Ezra chapter 8. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit of history here, what's going on with Ezra in this area, a um, couple other like little um, background tidbits. Uh, did you know that Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, actually same author and really was one book, and then later in history, it was split into two. Actually, Ezra and Nehemiah is actually one book. Just same, the same thing with like first and second Kings. It really is just Kings. It's one giant book. It was broken in half later when um, uh, when like the new categorical system that we see where uh, chapter and verse and all that came about uh, and, and things of that nature. That's when it broke apart. But a um, little side fact for you right there. But we're going to be in Ezra 8. Let's pray and let's see what God has for us today uh, in here. So uh, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you right now for... Uh, us coming together uh, on this, being able to hear your word. Lord, we pray for you right now. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us. Um, Lord, I surrender myself uh, to you that this be your teaching, not mine, that this is your word. So teach us, including myself. Uh, show us something that you want us to hear and, and take away from to grow in ourselves and grow deeper with you. Lord, we just pray for uh, your presence right now, wherever we are at, whether it's in our homes, uh, in our cars, at our work, uh, regardless of where we're hearing this from or when we are, we just pray for your presence right now. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. All right, get that sip of coffee. Uh, I'm in the office, so I stopped by and got uh, a can of something, so... <laughs> But all right, um, so a little bit of background as we get into Ezra 8. So Ezra is not a prophet, but Ezra is a priest uh, and base, or basically, if you will, an, uh, a good biblical teacher. He is a, um, he's a good priest, a Levitical law uh, teacher, knows the Torah uh, probably uh, so well that he's memorized it that he's memorized it. And we got to realize like back in that day, having anything written down was a huge luxury um, to have a copy of something in, of your own. So a lot of things were done by deep, deep memorization. Uh, I think a skill we kind of lose a little bit in today's modern, uh, just pull it up on our iPhone culture. Um, but very much that they understood the word that well. 
And so uh, Ezra was a very good and well-known Bible teacher, but he's well-known in a different setting because they're in Babylon at this time. This is during the exile, um, and about 50 to 60 years later, uh, we see that actually the return out of exile happens in three waves, and Ezra is the second wave of that. Nehemiah is the third. The first one is Zerubbabel that happened beforehand. Zerubbabel goes back from Babylon to Jerusalem with a handful of uh, a pretty hefty handful of people, uh, and they start uh, just working on Jerusalem itself. And then Ezra is going back, taking a good handful of people himself. Uh, we'll look at that number here soon. And what he's doing is going back so he can be the Bible teacher for Jerusalem at the temple. And then we see, of course, we know Nehemiah and Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Very famous story uh, that we look at. But the, that is our full three-part wave of uh, coming out of exile, out of Babylon. And so um, Ezra is part of Artaxerxes' portion of reign uh, of Babylon. And in Ezra 7, we read this letter. Uh, beforehand from Artaxerxes directly to Ezra and basically just saying, bro, take your people and take all this good stuff, all this gold, all of this silver, all of this uh, money and possessions, oil and, um, and provisions with you. Take it all back to your God at your temple uh, for your God. Um, so if just the this is all good context for us to really understand what is going on when we read uh here in Ezra Ezra 8 but right at the beginning um of his letter so it's Ezra 7 verse 12 from Artaxerxes the king of kings to Ezra the priest the teacher of the law of God of heaven greetings i decree that mit that any of the people of Israel in my kingdom including the priest and levites may volunteer to return to Jerusalem with you. All right, and then he that's the beginning of the letter. So, of course, he's saying anybody that wants to voluntarily leave and go home, you're welcome to go. And I say that because let's read and let's get into Ezra 8 now and you're going to see some parts that are like, "Wait a minute, they didn't get to go that that's or they didn't want to go at first. Let's get into it. All right, so Ezra 8 verse 1 uh, reading out of the NLT as uh, as I have been recently. Um, here is a list of the family leaders and the genealogies of those who came with me from Babylon during the reign of King Artaxerxes. From the family of Piahias, uh, Gershom. From the family uh, Ithamar, Daniel. From the family of David, uh, <coughs> Hattush, a descendant of uh, Shekaniah, from the family of Peros, uh, Zechariah, and 150 other men were registered. From the family of uh, Pethamoab, Elahiah, son of Zariah, and 200 other men. From the family of Zatu, Shekaniah, son of <coughs> Jezreel, and 300 other men. From the family of Aden, uh, Ebed, son of Jonathan, and 50 other men from the family of Elam, 
Josiah, <clears throat> son of Altali, and 70 other men from the family of uh, Shephathiah, <clears throat> Zebediah, son of Michael, and 80 other men from the family of Joab, Obadiah, son of Jehiel, and 218 other men from the family of Benai, uh, Shelemiah, son of Josepheth, and 160 other men from the family of Bebiah, Zechariah, son of uh, Bebiah, and 28 other men from the family of Asgad, uh, <clears throat> Joanna, son of Hecatan, 110 other men from the family of uh, Adokanan, who came later, well, excuse me, Elephiah, Jula, uh, Shemaiah, and 60 other men, and from the family of Begeva, uh, Uthai, Zukar, and 70 other men. If you want to know the correct pronunciation, I did all of that perfectly for you. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so just go back to the recording. No? <laughs> um, I'm going to stop there for a second. Okay, so with that uh, total, you're looking at um, the number uh, is about 1,496 men counted. Men, all right. We, we can talk patriarch or whatever, but this was an easier way and a quicker way to count this many people, right? Uh, where are my ushers out there? We're counting like everybody in the sanctuary on Sundays and things like that. It, when that's in that's in a couple hundreds, we are talking thousands. And to be able to quickly count with the capability of what they have, this is an easier way to go to the heads of every family, count the men and go, your family is accounted for. And so when we do that and we look at the average size family uh, overall, you're looking at close to six to seven thousand people that are saying, I'm volunteering to head back to Jerusalem with you, Ezra. So that's what size that Ezra is looking at. Um, and that is your 98 percent. Uh, to 99%. And why I say that, let's get into the rest of Ezra here, and you're going to see where he picks up a few more people. Um, but Ezra 15, so I assembled the exiles at the uh, Ahava Canal, and we camped there for three days while I went over the list of the people and the priest who had arrived. I found that not one Levite had volunteered to come along. So I sent for uh, Eleazar, Ariel, uh, Shemaiah, uh, El Nathan, Jerem, El, another El Nathan, uh, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, who were leaders of the people. I also sent for uh, Jorib, uh, El Nathan, who were men of discernment. I sent uh, them to uh, Idoa, the leader of the Levites at uh, Kasaphiam to ask him and his relatives and the temple servants to send us ministers for the temple of God at Jerusalem. Since the uh, gracious hand of our God was on us, they sent us a man named uh, Sheribid, <clears throat> along with 18 of his sons and brothers. He was a very astute man 
and a descendant of Mahali, who was a descendant of Levi, son of Israel. They also sent uh, Hashabiah together with uh, Jeshayim uh, from the descendants of Meraram uh, and 20 of his sons and brothers and 220 temple servants. The temple servants were assistants to the Levites, a group of temple workers first instituted by King David and his, his officials. They were listed by name. All right. So stopping there, we see that, wow, the Levites didn't want to get up and go. What is going on? At first, the Levites were like, nah, man, I'm comfortable right where I'm at. So we've said this before in other studies when we're looking at the exile. The exile was so long, and this is comparable, much, much shorter time frame, but comparable to um, the slavery in Egypt uh, before and Moses pulling the people out. That was 400 years in slavery in Egypt. This is only about 50 to 60 to 70 years, depending on which wave you're talking about. This is uh, a portion of time that is good enough for basically a whole new generation of people to be born into exile, and that's all they know. And that's all they know. So at this point, these are majority of these are Levites that have were born into exile. That's all they know. It's not the preferred way of living, but it's what they know. So therefore it's comfortable. It's comfortable. And they have not ever quite literally stepped foot in the temple itself to know what and how to be proper Levites in the temple. They know it's a family lineage. They know that this is a calling on them um, through the lineage of Levi himself uh, and for that tribe uh, to do that calling at the temple of the Lord. But quite literally, when we really think about it, these are a bunch of people that are like, I know my family does all this. I don't, I've never physically done it myself. My great grandpappy probably did it, and he's barely hanging on and trying to tell me how he did it. But I don't, I have never done this before. There's a level of it's uncomfortable because I've one never done it. I'm comfortable with exile, and I'm scared of the unknown. I'm scared of the unknown. I don't even know what the temple looks like. I've never even been there. I'm supposed to do all these great things for this great God. I've never been properly fully trained. How am I going to do this? And so these Levites with this huge calling just say, you know what? I'm going to stick to where I'm comfortable. None of them volunteer to do it. We see that because it was open invitation, it was just a general broadcast statement of saying, hey, any of you that are volunteering to come out, come with us and let's go back home. And many of these people, to a point, there's like some convincing you almost have to do because they're like, you keep telling me this is our home, but I've never seen it. I don't, I don't have that attachment 
by direct familiarity that that is my home, even though I'm told it is. So think of like that psyche of this of uh, of this generation being told to go home. This Jerusalem so great, you want to go home. Like we we don't belong here. This isn't our land. But they're like, but this is where I was born. This is where I'm comfortable. And so there's this level of we have to get past our comfortable to get to our calling. We have to get past our comfortable to get to our calling. Our calling and where God wants us to be ultimately is never where we're comfortable. It's just not. It's just not. And many of us, we just comfortable right now. We want something that's just like I need. Some, I need familiarity. I need stability. I need some comfort. I need this. There's so much going on. We inflation and all the other stuff of the world that's going on that's making us uneasy, unnerving. Um, like why are things looking so flipped up and upside down in the world? I just I need something comfortable. But your calling is never in the comfort. It's always going to go further. It's always going to stretch you. It's always going to be a journey to get there. It's always going to be something that's, uh, if you will, quite literally very scary. Because one, the fear ultimately comes from the unknown. But God knows. But God knows where you belong. But God knows the the right way for you. God knows the path. God knows exactly what he has in store for you and the great things that are to come. The great things that are to come. So let's read on what, what they do here to really kind of get into this. my office lights um all right so in verse 21 and there by the ava canal i gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our god we prayed that we would give us that he would give us safe journey and protect us our children and our goods as we travel I want this to be our main verse that we look at. There, but in the Ava Canal is where they were staging to prep for this journey. Going from Babylon back to Jerusalem was close to about a thousand miles. You're looking at basically leaving um, Dallas, Texas to go to San Francisco to give you some kind of scale of, of distance. Of, and you're going by foot. You're not going by some fancy Tesla or anything like you're going on foot with maybe a couple donkeys and some carts to carry some of all this load. And uh, if you go back to that letter and all this other stuff, and there's we're actually going to get into uh, further the amount of silver, the amount of gold, the amount of silver articles, um, the amount of uh, oil and everything else that was given to them to go with them, uh, one to be as uh, an offering to the God of Israel from Artaxerxes, 
uh, and to also be provision for them to give back. We see so much of that they were, this is a huge journey. This is massive for them to go. You know, we we even look at like certain people in our own recent history. Um, I know we we probably a lot of us, hopefully we've learned like Lewis and Clark. Right. And their trail through the United States and like really through like a lot of the Midwest to Western part of the United States and all of that they did. And it was just these two guys doing it through all of that wilderness on their own uh, well before any modern technology at all. Like. That's huge to be able to handle uh, the weather um, and little provisions and doing all of the miles that they did. They basically trek the same amount of distance that they are about to do from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But they did it with two people. This is nearly 7,000 people together doing this. And so the strength is in numbers here. The strength is in numbers, but there's still this level of fear because there's unknown. Uh, A lot of people haven't left Babylon ever. So what is the journey look like? What does the terrain look like? There's no major roadways to to just say, oh, yeah, just take I-76 and you're good to go. Like, <laughs> that's not that's not there. There's no, hey, get off on this exit and, and pull over and get yourself some Wawa or whatever or Starbucks on the way. There's none of that. These people are like, oh, my goodness, we're about to do a thousand some odd miles to get to Jerusalem on foot, maybe with a couple donkeys and carts to carry all of our stuff. Uh, and, um, and Ezra's like, we need to go take six to seven thousand people to make this trek. You better believe we're going to sit there and fast and pray to our God. You better believe before a big journey, we're going to sit there and go, we need to humble ourselves before our God. Because this is no easy feat. This is taking us out of comfort, but it is taking us back to our calling. It's taking us back to our calling. We pray that he would give us safe journey and protect us, our children and our goods as we travel. As we continue on, it says in uh, verse 22, uh, for I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from the enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandoned him. All right. Hey, if we're going to proclaim the goodness of our God, we better live it. Right there. If we are going to proclaim the goodness and the faithfulness and the yes and amens of our God, you better live it. Don't be that person that says, my God's going to protect me. And, and then you're like, oh, oh. Oh, oh my God, I need like a whole army of people around me. He's like, no, I, I, no, we, we, I can't. I, I, I am believing in our God. 
I'm believing our, if our God's calling me to it, he's going to see me through it. And so in verse 23, so we fasted, and here's the key word, earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayer. And he heard our prayer. I love that word earnestly prayed because there's sometimes in our Christian walk, in our Christian ease, in our um, church uh, lifestyle, sometimes prayer is like a, well, it's a, it's a duty, right? Well, you better pray before you eat or that Chick-fil-A won't be blessed, right? You better pray before we eat or that McDonald's isn't going to be all that healthy for you. Like, like it changes. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it, it's this like, Hey, you better pray. Okay. Yeah. There's a slight duty to it, but is it effective? What makes it effective is it's from the heart. Your prayer needs to come from the heart because that's what the God that we serve searches. Our God searches our heart. And so is this prayer out of duty or is this prayer from our heart? Is this prayer honestly coming from what our heart is yearning for? Is this prayer coming from honestly what our heart is, is craving or even admitting to God in an honest way? Like, God, I'm scared. I'm just, I know I shouldn't be. I know I should be resting on, on your faithfulness, but I'm scared, God. Will you be there? How honest are we in our prayers? To our Lord, or are we playing Christianese even with God? How honest are our prayers? And this is the whole point of fasting and honestly praying to our God here. It's not about giving up the food, it's about giving it anything up so that we honestly seek God. It's so that we are just basically focusing even more on him instead of anything else that we want or seek out of our own selves. This is what it's all about. So we have our 21 day Daniel fast coming up and we're, we're all uh, you're going to have these guides uh, put on your seats in uh, service coming up this Sunday. Um, and they're these are beautiful guides. And they're great. And they're going to give you what is the Daniel fast specifically? What does that look like? There's even some recipes and there's some uh, different things on here. Um, kind of a, the, the if you go with the strictest way of doing the Daniel fast, um, you know, uh, what beverages you can have, vegetables, fruits, you know, of course, no meats, no sugar, no uh, things of that nature. And then it, it just talks about how to do all of that. And it goes through everything. But I want to challenge and say that, yes, we can focus on making sure we're doing the fast right on, um, on you know, if we want to go that strict or, where, or wherever we need to go. And I know certain uh, of us have like certain dietary uh, issues. Um, I, I know one of my brothers out there, he, he has to have a certain amount of protein. There's like a, uh, an issue in there. So like chicken remains on his diet, uh, for that, but he fasts in other ways and he, and he works around that, but there's a level of, are you just fasting to kind of meet the recipe? Are we fasting to say, God, I believe you are the bread of my life. 
more than the actual food. That I'm actually believing more in what you say, that you are the author of life, you are the author of my life, that I'm believing in you over what my flesh, what my sinful desire wants, that I'm believing more in you that I'm focusing on you, that I'm earnestly praying to you in these 21 days. And God, this is honestly what my heart is saying. That God, I have this need in my life. I have this unmet understanding in my life that I have, I have maybe like, God, give me purpose and direction for this year. God, give me purpose and direction for your will with my life. You know, whatever that prayer is, And if you've got a a prayer that you already know that you need answer to, or you're, you're just like, God, I'm I'm focusing and believing that you're going to come through and break through during this 21 days. Would you put that prayer in the comment? Like right now, like what is your prayer that you are earnestly seeking God for in this 21 days of fasting? Because I want to see all those prayers because I want to pray those prayers for you as well as we get into this 21 days of fasting. Because that's also part of this journey that they're going through back to Babylon or from out of Babylon back to Jerusalem uh, that they're going on, that they're not doing it alone. That they fasted as a group, as they came together uh, at the staging area of Hava uh, Canal, at the Hava Canal there, that they staged together They said, before we go on this journey as a group, as a family, as a, as a nation, let's honestly, earnestly seek the Lord by prayer and fasting. It's amazing that you do it personally, but it's even so much more powerful when a community comes together to deeply seek the Lord as a church, as a family, as the kingdom of God. Not there to tug and twist his arm, but there to sit at his feet and say, God, we want to hear from you more than anything else in our lives. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm needing right now. I need you more than food. I need you more than uh, social media. I need you more than coffee. I need you more than, and I know somebody was like, whoa, I don't know. Hold on now. (laughs) when I said coffee, but yes, even more than coffee or anything else that helps us get through the day. Yes. Even more than Advil, more than whatever it is. God, I need you more than anything in my life so that I can be a good mom so that I can be a good dad, so that I can be a good husband and wife, so that I can be a good parent to my children, so that I can be a good employee, so I can be just a good citizen to to other people and, uh, and to my church and to wherever I'm at. I'm believing in you, God, as who supplies that over anything else in this world. And so that's what they're doing. And it says, so we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayer. I'm believing at the end of this 21 day Daniel fast, and even maybe even in the middle of it, God is going to hear your prayer. If you are fasting and earnestly pray to him. 
let's read on and get the rest of this chapter in. Um, I know I'm going over a little bit. I appointed 12 leaders of the priest, um, <clears throat> Sherebah, I pronounced that perfectly. There you go. Uh, 10 other priests uh, to be in charge of transporting the silver, the gold, the gold bowls, and other items that the king, his council, his officials, and all the people uh, of Israel had presented before the temple of God. I weighed the treasure as I gave it to them and found the totals to be as follows. 24 tons of silver. 7,500 pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls value, uh, equal in value to 1,000 gold coins, uh, two fine articles of polished bronze, uh, as precious as gold. And I said to these priests, you and these treasures have been set apart as holy to the Lord. This silver and gold is a voluntary offering uh, to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. Guard these treasures well until you present them to the leading priests, the Levites, and the leaders of Israel, who will weigh them at the uh, storerooms of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. So the priests and the Levites accepted the task of transporting these treasures of silver and gold to the temple of our God in Jerusalem. We broke camp at Ahava and Canal on April 19th and started off to Jerusalem and the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived safely in Jerusalem where we rested for three days on the fourth day after our arrival, the silver, gold, and other valuables were weighed at the temple of our God and entrusted to uh, Merimoth, the son of Uriah and the priest or Uriah the priest, and uh, to Ezra, uh, son of Pahias, um, or Phineas, excuse me, uh, along with uh, Josabad, the son of Jeshu, uh, and Nodea, <clears throat> son of uh, Benaiah, both of whom were Levites. Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the total weight was officially recorded. Then the exiles who had come out of captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. They presented 12 bulls for all the people of Israel, one for each tribe there, by the way, um, was uh, as well as 96 rams and 77 male lambs. They also offered 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was given as a burnt offering to the Lord. The king's decrees were delivered to his highest officers and the governors in the uh, province west of the Euphrates River, who then cooperated by supporting the people and the temple of God. There, we got the rest of the chapter. <laughs> um, I wanted to get to the end here because here's a, a thing. We're going to go into this uh, prayer and fasting. But in any season that we are earnestly praying to God for an answer for a certain prayer. There's also on the back end of this. Do we are we like, yay, OK, you answered my prayer. I'm good to go now. I'm uh, I'm cool. I can go do whatever I need to now because, God, you answered my prayer. Or are you coming back and saying, thank you, Lord, and worshiping him? 
Is your focus still on God after the prayer's answered? Or is it, well, I got my answer. Now I'm good to go. And God's like a second thought again. And unfortunately, sometimes that happens is that are we honestly seeking the answer of the prayer or the person who answers the prayer? Yes, we have prayers that need to be answered. Yes, we have prayers that are earnestly coming from our heart. But at the end of it, is our focus still on the Lord and saying, thank you for answering my prayer. Thank you for being there for me. And thank you for continuing to be there on this next part of the journey. Because that's just a season. What about the next season? And what about the next season? And what about the next season? That's where we continue with the consistency of prayer and love towards our God. That God, I saw you do it once before. I know you can do it again. And this is what they did after this long journey where God protected them from bandits and ambushes and everything else along the journey. Because I-76 was pretty treacherous for them. That they didn't just go, wow, we made it here. We're good to go. Kick your sandals up and call it good. They said, no, thank you, God. Let's praise your name because you are worthy of it all. Let's sacrifice all of these bulls. Let's sacrifice all these lambs and animals. And, and I know PETA's like just going crazy right now uh, when, when all this, but you know who cares about them because our God is better. Our God is amazing. Our God is worthy of all his praise because his mercy and his love for us never end. And since his love and mercy and guidance and counsel and wisdom and hand of comfort never end on us, may our praise, may our thanks, and may our focus and attention never end on him. So I pray all of us have a great Thursday. Let us get continue to get prepared for this Daniel fast as we come together as a church, as we come together at Ava Canal together and earnestly pray and fast for the Lord in our lives. I'm going to take that list of all of your prayers. I'm going to pray over them honestly myself and uh, for you guys through this 21 days. Uh, let's be there for each other because that's how we get through this is that we go through things together, strength in numbers, strength with our God as a community, as a family, as a church. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word today. Um, may, you, may you just strengthen all of us uh, through this. May, you, um, may our focus be more on you than what we're giving up. May our focus be more on you than what we're actually even praying for, Lord. Yes, we want the answer to our prayer, but we want to focus on you because you are the one who answers the prayer. You are the one that has the power to do anything and everything. Because your mercy never ends, because your love never ends, because your faithfulness never ends. May our faith, may our devotion, may our praise to you never end as well. 
Lord, we just thank you right now. I pray that your presence be in every home. I pray your presence be in every workplace. I pray your presence be in every vehicle as uh, they're listening to this uh, and going about their days. I pray a blessing over everyone here. I pray you guide us all. Take us out of our comfort and into your calling for your purposes, for your will, for your praise, for your glory, Jim. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Have a blessed day. See you all this Sunday. It's going to be great. Uh, Have a good one and talk to you all later. God bless. Take care.